Hello, welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I'm going to be giving you personalized user research advice based on your questions or struggles. So let's dive into today's episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good day. (laughs) I hope you are having a very good day today or had a very good day today, or that you will have a very good day today, depending on where you are in the world. I love that. I just love the globalness. That's not a word, but we're going to use it. I'm glad I'm a writer of podcasts. Just you could be listening to this, doing literally anything at any time of the day in any part of the world. And that is kind of cool. It is kind of cool. So regardless of where you are, what you're doing, what time of day or night it is, I hope that you are doing well and enjoying your week or weekend. We could just go on with all the permutations of what could potentially be happening to you right now. But yes, instead of doing that, because I'm feeling a bit philosophical recently, I just, I don't know about if any of you get into this mood where you just go on YouTube and suddenly an hour later, you're like, how did I get here? And usually with me, what happens is I start looking up space stuff and then I get really overwhelmed and really frustrated at the lack of knowledge that we have about space. (laughs) And two hours later, I'm sitting there being like, oh, wow, if only one day we could travel in light years. You know, like I just – it's either that or it's singing videos of America's Got Talent or X Factor or something, one of those. It's it's either way. I go in either direction of looking up cringy or really good music or space. <laughs> so uh, that is me for the day. I hope maybe that made you smile or laugh or roll your eyes or something. <laughs> Something positive. I don't know if rolling eyes is positive, but anyways, let's dive into the question that we have for today because I am excited to get into it for a lot of different reasons. So here we go. I am myself terribly shy and introverted, but the thing that I'm good at is research. I struggle mostly when there are eight observers from the team present when I do interviews because my worst nightmare is being the center of attention, which in fact I am not. It is all about the participant, but it still gives me a lot of anxiety. I also write down a complete script of the interview because I'm scared that I might be too nervous to form an actual sentence, but this also makes it even more difficult to focus on where I am in the several pages and listening to the participant at the same time. My fear and shyness is keeping me from truly enjoying research and thriving. Maybe you could share some tips on how to deal with that on a daily basis and how to better manage those overwhelming situations. So, hello, fellow shy and introverted people. (laughs) I wish I could bang on my table, but I have no idea what that would sound like (laughs) through the podcast. So, I, I, and I would also do some snaps, but I also don't know what that would sound like through the podcast. So, we're going to, we're going to keep it safe. But I just want to give a huge shout out to shy and introverted people. I am as well shy and introverted. People don't think that about me, but I do talk about it a lot. So maybe people do think that about me, but I can mask as extroverted. However, I'm extremely uh, introverted. Being around people drains me 
an incredible amount. I need a lot of time to recharge from social situations. And that includes both fun, I guess, social situations, for lack of a better word. So outside of work, social situations, as well as work situations. And that isn't only for group activities. That's also one-on-one time. So even if I'm just having a conversation with one person over dinner, I still have to recharge quite a lot. I'm also very shy, very I, I I wouldn't say I'm I'm socially anxious. Like I don't I don't necessarily have social anxiety anymore. I used to have a a pretty medium degree of social anxiety, and that mostly surrounds perfectionism, which I'm hearing twinges of in this in this kind of question. So, one thing that I did want to say is you are not alone in being shy and introverted, and also being a user researcher. I actually find that quite a lot of researchers are pretty shy and pretty introverted or ambivert, right? So you can be okay in both situations, right? But you you also need to recharge, but maybe not as much as somebody who's introverted, right? So I do hear a lot of researchers who, who do feel as though they are introverted. And one thing that I just want to point out is that there are some really great things that come out of being an introverted person that are super positive in terms of soft skills as a user researcher. So one thing that I just notice kind of in this question is it's almost looking at shyness and introversion in a bit of a negative light. And I can understand why I used to look at it that way too because of the things that happened, right? So being nervous, being overwhelmed, being anxious about things going wrong because of my shyness and introversion, I used to view that in a negative light. But what I do want to do is just kind of shout out the fact that being introverted is quite a nice trait. You don't have to be introverted to be successful as a user researcher. You, There are some really great extroverted user researchers out there who, on the flip side, th- their extroversion helps them a lot. But I do also want to point out that introversion can be extremely helpful as a user researcher, and it's something that we can celebrate, right? So I do celebrate my introversion because it makes me a really, really, really great active listener, right? Super great, you know, because I want that person to talk. I don't want to talk, right? I also take myself out of the center of attention, for lack of a better way to say it, right? So when I'm facilitating workshops, I'm properly a facilitator. So I can I can really take a step back. I don't really want to be the person who people are focused on. And that also helps, as you say here, with the participant being the person that people focus on, right? You, you, you do not want to be in that spotlight very naturally, so you want that spotlight to be on other people, right? So there are some tendencies of introverted people that make for very great researchers. So I just want to say that maybe... I know, I know this probably isn't the most helpful thing to do, but maybe as just a thought exercise to reframe the mindset, you can talk through what your shyness and introversion bring to your user research skills in a positive way. So what are some ways that these things show up that are actually quite positive, such as active listening, letting other people talk, uh, the participant as the spotlight, being a really great facilitator because it's all about everybody else, not about you, right? So maybe you could make a list of things that are really positive about being shy and introverted. I think that would just be a really great reframe 
in terms of mindset because we are all different. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. We all have different opportunities for learning and for improvement. And none of them are bad, right? There's no such thing. We're going to go very philosophical right now. So uh, disclaimer, there's no such thing as good or bad, right? Like if you're introverted, that's fine. If you're extroverted, that's fine. You have different strengths and weaknesses and, and and that's that. And I don't say weaknesses with a bad taste, right? We just have things that we are better at and things that we can potentially improve in if we, if we find that it's necessary, right? So there is no such thing as the perfect researcher and what traits go into that perfect researcher. We are all different and thus we all bring different things to the table. And that's actually really positive because diversity in perspective, diversity in thinking, diversity in approach are extremely important for our field and for an organization. If everybody was extroverted, imagine, oh, that makes me tired. (laughs) Just thinking about a a meeting with 15 extroverted people and nobody who's introverted that's able to facilitate and bring it back properly, right? So we all bring different things to the table. So the first thing that I would ask you to do is try and reframe your mindset to bring through your strengths, right? Think about your strengths when it comes to being shy and introverted right? So now getting to more of the tactical things that you can do. I hated observers. (laughs) I hated them so much, especially in the beginning of my research career for the very same reason. I was like, okay, there's one thing if I screw up and there's another thing if I screw up in front of a group of people who think that I'm an expert, who I've begged to do research with, who are then like, uh, what is she doing? <laughs> like, Then research will become stupid and people will think that I'm stupid and la-di-da, down the rabbit hole we go. So I feel you so much on this and I'm sorry that you're feeling this kind of anxiety when it comes to doing research because as you said, you are supposed to enjoy it. Well, you're not supposed to anything, but it would be great if you can enjoy it. It's meant to be an enjoyable thing. If you love research, you know, doing interviews is a very enjoyable activity. At least it is for quite a few researchers, right? And so you you do want to be able to, when you're at work, feel that level of enjoyment if it is something that you in that you do in fact love and that you want to get better at and that you want to do and that you're good at, right? You want to feel the positives that come from being a good researcher, which is usually enjoying your craft. So I wonder if there are some things that you can do. The first being the observers. So I'm I'm curious if they are in the same room with you or if they are observing via like Zoom, so via a video kind of mechanism. And if they are observing, they should have all of their cameras off and everything, right? So you shouldn't, ideally you would not be able to see them. So something that you can do is if they are in the room with you and observing, what you could do is you can have two separate rooms. This is something that I did at the beginning of my career. I was alone in a small room and my colleagues were in a larger room watching the interview on a TV right? So we had hooked up the Zoom to the TV so that they could see me on the TV. Or alternatively, if that wasn't working, they could watch me at their desk or they could watch, they could sit in a room and and independently watch on their own respective computers. So I took them out of the situation until I felt comfortable enough for people to be in the room with me, right? 
I would say also if if some people do need to be in the room with you, don't have eight. That's it's like a party. That's very overwhelming. What I would say is ideally there would be one or two other people in the room with you, right? Especially if – so there should never be more than one or two people present if the if the participant is also in the room with you, right? So – I, I'm. I, I was envisioning that you were in a in a room talking remotely to participants, right? And then there were eight people. Well, you can scope that down to one or two, and the other people can go watch from their desk or watch from a different room or something of the sort. And then, if there is a participant present in person with you, there should never. It should be you, usually only, and maybe one other person, right? Because that that introduces a really poor dynamic for participants to have a bunch of people watching them. So if that is the case, then just reduce the amount of people who are in the room. If you are on Zoom and everybody's remote and they're just calling in, what I would recommend doing is there are settings on Zoom or I'm, I'm not sure if there are, to be honest, settings on other kinds of systems. I, I'm not sure about like user interviews or other, you know, other mechanisms or or video software, but on Zoom, you can make it so that you can only see like one person. So yes, there are people on observing, but you can only see this one particular person, right? The participant. And so you try and, uh, this is what I tried to do is I tried to just take my mind off the fact that there were other people there, right? So that is that is something that you can do as well. So trying to work on the settings of whatever tool that you're using to see if you can only focus on the participant and not even see the other people's names or anything of the sort, right? Now, when it comes to writing a script interview, I could I, I could not do this. So I don't blame you in getting lost, right? So what I would what I would say is Instead of writing a, a script interview that's super, super prescribed, what I would do is write down – well, there are several ways that you can structure a script. Uh, the, the one that I recommend doing, which is kind of easiest to do, I think, is go by your research goals. So let's say you have three research goals. You would list those three research goals out and then write prompts of – questions that you want to ask to answer that goal. So let's say that we're working at a food delivery company. That's my my big example. And one of the one of the goals of the research is to understand pain points that come up when people are ordering food. So I would put that goal in, right, on a doc, and then I'd list like three to five questions just as prompts rather than an exact script of what I want to say and what I want to ask to remind me of ways that I can talk to this person. So something that I would say is, tell me about the last time that you ordered food and it was a bad experience. What happened? Right? So then we have that question and we can do a a few follow-up questions like, how did it feel? What did you do to get around it? How did you resolve it? Did you resolve it? Those types of follow-up questions. Now, those aren't all the the best interview questions that I've ever said. But what I'm just trying to demonstrate is that we don't need a complete like play-by-play script. You can just have per goal a few questions to remind you of what you are trying to say and what you are trying to ask. That 
might be a little bit easier than trying to follow a huge script that has multiple pages and listening to the participant. So those are those are some things that you can do. But by and large, something that I would say that made the biggest difference for me was practicing. So if you have eight people that are interested in your interviews, I can see how that's the worst nightmare when it comes to anxiety about performance, but that is freaking awesome that you have eight other people in your organization that care about your research. And what I would say is we don't want to close these people off for research from research because we are nervous about our skill sets, right? Because it's almost like not fair in a way because we're like this is a really great thing user research you need to do it and then it's like oh but i'm but i'm scared and like i don't want you to come and like i i get both sides right because i've i've been on both sides where i was so super nervous and i hated when people came to my research to now i love it when people come to research because that means that they value it and they're getting a lot out of the session more so than i could put into a report or a summary right so what made the biggest difference for me is first understanding why i felt so anxious and why i felt like my skills were not good enough right so what does that look like it means going through your previous interviews and assessing those interviews so being honest with yourself and assessing them and ideally you'd also have somebody else whether that be a manager or a another researcher a friend who's a researcher a mentor going through your interviews a few of your interviews and assessing them with you right? Well, not not with you, with you, but assessing them. And then you two come together and you talk about what both of you found when you went through and assessed your interview. One of the scariest things I think is that we get concerned that we are bad at something. At least this is what I went through. And then I was so concerned that I was bad at it that I didn't want to go and review it and assess it so that I didn't actually know if I was bad at it or not. <laughs> right it's it's a really easy way to get stuck and so i wouldn't go back and assess my interviews and see where i could improve because i was so scared that i was just complete and other utter crap right i was so scared that my interviews just sucked so much so i didn't want to re-listen to them but something that actually helped me was going back and listening to myself cringe 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 hate it still hate it to this day i hate it so much i can't listen to this podcast <laughs> because I hate listening to myself talk. But what I did was I went back, I got familiar with how I did research and I assessed my interviews and I tried to look at it from an objective point. And I did that and I said, okay, you know what? It's actually not that bad. I'm not, not the worst researcher in the whole entire world. I'm also not the best and that's okay because I'm learning. Here are three things that I can do over the next three to six months, depending on how big these tasks were, that I can improve. So something that I noticed I was doing at first was I was asking a lot of double-barreled questions. So asking two questions at once. Uh, or I was asking a lot of mini questions. Let me try and think of a really quick example. Okay, so let's go back to that like food delivery example. So imagine that I'm getting somebody to tell me about their their latest bad experience and instead of me asking, "Oh, how are you feeling?" 
during that experience, right? Which is a pretty open question. I would say, oh, how how were you feeling about that experience? Were you frustrated? Were you angry? Were you, <laughs> you know? So I would I would ask several questions at once, right? And that was something that I did for a really long time because I was concerned that my questions weren't coming along as clear, right? So what I did is I stopped doing that, right? I worked on it, but I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't looked back and assessed my interviews and then I, I assessed my inter- – I, I worked on a few different things like asking multiple questions at once, having longer places of silence were super important to me to, to let people continue to talk because silence is hard. Silence is, is really hard. So extending my silence. And then I, I'm trying to think of one of the other ones that I was not so great at. I think I asked, I would ask a few leading questions and I was trying to neutralize my questions completely, which is quite quite a tough task. So I looked at those three areas and I, wor- I worked on them. I, I was aware of them, right? I, I tried not to be aware of them to the point where it was crippling anxiety. So every single time I asked a question, I was concerned. And that's something that you need to kind of work on and figure out, right? But then I started re-listening to my interviews and... I noticed that I was doing better. And there is nothing you can do better than to give yourself data and evidence that you are improving. There's nothing that works as as a remedy to anxiety than that, right? And that is something you can do with by yourself without any needing anybody else. Again, it would be ideal if you had somebody to listen through them and and compare notes and give you suggestions from a more objective point of view. But it was hugely rewarding for me because I saw myself getting better. And then what happened is I noticed, oh, okay, so there are a few more nuances like with usability testing. I was my tasks weren't always super duper clear and so that was something else. Then I said, "Okay, I've worked on these three things. Now I'm going to work on this. I'm going to make sure that my tasks are much more clear when I ask them because I could kind of get away from myself trying to create scenarios that were a little bit too over the top. It's the writer in me." <laughs> so that's something that I would highly recommend doing. I'll pop uh, in the description of the episode an assessment article with a template to assess your interviews, right? So it's it's a way for you to kind of look at it and it, you don't need to use the template as is. You can you can kind of make it your own, but I this is the template that I use to assess my own interviews. The next thing that I would say is you need to practice. You need to practice in very low stakes environments to build up your confidence. So something that I did was practicing in the mirror or recording myself and practicing saying the questions. Uh, Also internal stakeholders too. So internal interviews, I would practice, I would do dry runs before. Um, That's something that's so super important is to do dry runs. So if you're not doing any sort of dry run, I really highly recommend doing one. And that's with one or two, depending on how you're feeling. And that's just with a colleague. So you're running through the entire script and practicing it. So practice as much as you want to and as much as you can to make yourself feel comfortable, right? Again, with colleagues, with internal stakeholders, with with recording yourself in the mirror, anything that would give you a little bit more confidence. I would say recording yourself, asking questions and listening back to them is so super helpful because you 
actually hear what it sounds like and it might be able to help you with forming better questions. So practicing is absolutely key. I think that that between that and interviewing, assessing my interviews were the two things that really shot up my confidence and reduced my anxiety and perfectionism when it came to when it came to doing research especially in front of other people so that those are two things that i would highly highly recommend and that's how you that's how you can start to manage reducing this level of anxiety because when we go right into research with participants especially it's high stakes especially again if people are watching right? So try and practice in more low stakes situations where it's okay to make mistakes, where it's okay to stumble a little bit or to ask not a great question. Also, give yourself grace in general. I ask some crappy questions sometimes still to this day. I will, by mistake, ask a crappy question and it happens. So give yourself the grace as well to be okay with messing things up a little bit. You're you're not a failure if you ask a few bad questions over the span of an hour. It happens. We're human right? This is just part part of the job. We can't be perfect all the time. So make sure to give yourself that grace as well. And then finally, the last thing that you can do is participate in research. I know that a lot of companies will knock out researchers. So we'll, they will screen us out because as user researchers, we're not always... <laughs> the best at giving feedback because we tend to overdo it or overthink it, right? But maybe there are some opportunities where you can be the participant. This was a huge, huge thing for me. So I started becoming a participant in more research studies so that I could understand what it feels like to be a participant and what it feels like to be on the other side. And that helped me with building rapport with my participants, right? So that's another thing that you can do so that you get the full scope of what's going on so that you feel more confident in your sessions, right? So those are the things that I would highly recommend doing. They are things that I have tried and done over and over again. They're things that I've taught in my mentorship. There are things that I've taught in my membership as well. And you know, we're we're actually doing, I'm so super excited. In a few weeks, we're doing, we're practicing generative research in my membership. So people are actually able to practice these skills in low stake environments. So everybody's gonna practice their generative research skills on each other and then we're going to come back and discuss it and assess how we could how we could improve as researchers when it comes to generative research. So it's about finding those low stake moments to practice and that's I'm I'm so so excited for this first session. I'm I'm a little bit nervous as how it's going to go but really 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 excited. So just make sure that you are giving yourself that grace to not be perfect and also doing things to mitigate that anxiety like practicing in assessing your interviews so that you can see how you can improve and then watch yourself improve so you're giving yourself that data and also try and be a participant every once in a while. Cool. I hope that that was helpful. I'm super excited for you to try this. You should be enjoying your job like as much as you possibly can. You deserve to enjoy your job, especially if you're good at it. You you deserve to thrive. You deserve to improve. You you deserve to go into an interview and feel good about it. 
right? So really try and put these things into practice. And I hope that they are super helpful, not just for you, but for everybody who's listening. You all have what it takes to feel confident and be confident as a user researcher. And it's important for us to feel that way because it is a very powerful feeling and it feels really, really nice to walk into a session and actually be excited about it rather than being nervous. So I'm here for you. You got it. I'm I'm rooting for you. And yeah, I can't wait to talk to you all soon. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and submit your next question. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Bye. Thank you.